0: If you're here last week, I told you that minus red hair and a beard, uh, I was being but better looking. I prayed all week for a beard and didn't get it, so I had to shave, because if I don't shave, what passes for my beard? I look like a sketchy individual, Um, so I did not get the beard uh, that I prayed for, but God is sovereign over our facial hair. Um, A few quick announcements Uh, Before we get into the sermon for today, Um, one, uh, tonight here at the church at 630 uh, will be our first integrity prayer night here in this space. So that's when we're going to gather together corporately as a body. Uh, We're going to pray in celebration of all that God has done in our midst. We're going to pray for uh, continued favor in the city, and then we're going to pray as the gospel uh, goes out from here to the nations and the world. Uh, The second thing I want to remind you of, uh, Integrity Women. There's a women's retreat coming up April 8th through the 10th at Camp Willow Run. Uh, There's a little... uh, postcard out on the Connection Center table with some more information. Uh, If you're interested in that, take one of those. There's some more information that you can find online at the church's website. Uh, And then lastly, uh, two weeks from today on March 13th, uh, we will be having an interest meeting uh, here at the church at six o'clock in the evening uh, for Restoration Church. That's the church plant that I'm leading and we're moving to Wilmington uh, this year to plant a church for uh, the glory of God in that city. And so if you're interested in hearing about our timeline of uh, what it would maybe look like for you to join us either uh, later in the year or in the coming years, um, we would love for you to be there to hear more about our heart for the city. Um, also, if you're um, not interested in going at all but you want to know ways that you can be involved with the church plant, we would love to have you out. Uh, that's March 13th at six o'clock in the evening here, and we will have uh, childcare provided. Uh, so just a few announcements to make you aware of. Um, we're going to pick up our story uh, of the disciples and the apostles in the book of Acts today. So if you got your copy of the scripture, uh, you can go ahead and turn uh, to Acts 2. While you're turning there, we're going to do a little uh, audience participation. So if you're like me, and you grew up Southern Baptist. I'm giving you permission to talk back in church. Uh, your mom's not going to backhand you. And nobody's going to think you're weird. Uh, we just need some audience participation. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to call out dates. And just, if you know what happened on that date, I want you just to say it back to me. So it's real simple. If this was a history test, you'd ace it. The pop quiz on Sunday morning. All right, so here we go. Everybody ready? Ready? Nobody? Okay, good. July 4th, 1776. America. America it is, folks. Uh, July 4th is when we got America. Um, Thank you, Adam. Um, I don't need to read the rest of these because I can't improve on that. Um, December 7th, 1941. Pearl Harbor. Well done. Y'all are way more engaged than the 9 o'clock. November 22nd, 1963. JFK JFK is assassinated. August 31st, 1997. Nobody knew this in the 9 o'clock. It was the day that Princess Diana was killed in a car wreck. Very vividly remember where I was when that news broke. Uh, September 11th, 2001. The attack on the World Trade Center. You guys mumbled at the same level that the 9 o'clock did through that answer. Um, November 16th, 2012. Twilight Saga, Breaking Dawn Part 2. Opens in theaters. Okay, so one of those dates isn't like the rest of those dates. Um, I had to look up when most of those things happened to get the exact date correct. I was at Breaking Dawn, but I was with my wife. I was married, so don't judge me. Uh, Some of you probably knew that that was the date of Breaking Dawn, but you didn't want to scream it in church, so you wouldn't be judged. So when we think about these dates, I mean, outside of of maybe one of those dates, everybody had, had a vague awareness or a concrete awareness of what happened on those dates in history. And if you were to talk to your grandparents, they will probably know where they were on December 7th, 1941. If you talk to your parents, they may know where they were on the day that JFK was assassinated. I think we will all be the generation that remembers where we were on September 11th when the attack on the World Trade Centers happened. And so important days in history shape how we understand the world, how we understand ourselves, and it shapes our worldview and how we interact with other people. And so there's a day in the life of the church that I would say is on par with and more important than any of the days that we just went over, and that is the day of Pentecost, and that's what we're going to be looking at today. And so we want to understand from Scripture why the day of Pentecost in the life of the church is as important as it is. Of all the days and all the things that we experience, the one that has the most effect on us, whether we're aware of it or not, any day that we live as believers is the day of Pentecost. And so we want to unpack why that is today. So before we get into Acts 2, let's pause for a moment and pray. Father, we are overwhelmed with gratitude and thanks for the gospel. It gives us the right to be called sons and daughters. It gives us the ability to love you. It's nothing that we've done to earn. It's not based on our works, but it's all the good grace of you towards us in Christ. And so for that, we're grateful. We pray as we're in Acts and other parts of scripture this morning, that the Holy Spirit will work in our hearts and in our lives to cause us to love you more deeply and truly, and to really have a concrete desire and passion to share the good news of Jesus Christ with others. So Holy Spirit, would you do that in our hearts and in our lives today? It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13, we'll read through it, and then we're going to really bounce around some through scripture to help us better understand, not from our own reasoning and interpretation, but from scripture, why Pentecost matters so much in the life of the church. So Luke recording the day of Pentecost says this, Acts 2, 1 through 13. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites, the residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontius and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, "What does this mean?" But others mocking said, "They are filled with new wine. Luke records Luke is the only one in all of Scripture that records what is one of the most important days in all of the life of the church today of Pentecost, and what today is not going to be is a theological dissecting of the holy spirit i mean i'm not going to try to name or reason with you based off of symbolism that Luke records in the text. What I want us to see very plainly as we are here today and as we leave is this. The Holy Spirit comes on the disciples, and the first thing they do is begin to share the good news of Jesus with the people they can now communicate with clearly and in an understandable manner. That's what I want you to understand primarily about the Holy Spirit as we leave here today, after we're done and we've walked through Scripture, that's what I want you to see and to understand. We're not going to get into what tongues of fire mean. We're not going to get into other types of tongues. We're not going to run around in here like crazy people uh, experiencing spiritual gifts. What we're going to do is we're going to look from Scripture on why the gifts of tongues, and especially the gift of tongues that allowed the disciples to speak to others in their known languages was so vitally important. There are a few things I want to point out from this text in Acts before we back up in to the Old Testament. The first thing I want us to see is that they're all together and there's no indication that this is going to be a day any different from any other day that they've lived since Jesus has ascended. If you think back to all the days I read off as we started our time together this morning, no one woke up on those mornings knowing that life-altering earth-shattering things were going to happen. It was just business as usual until the unexpected broke in. And that's how it was with the disciples at this time. And the, the language that Luke uses as far as the Holy Spirit rushing in like a mighty roar and entering the house where they were and entering like a mighty rushing wind would have echoed What John had written in his gospel, which was Jesus' interaction with Nicodemus, where he equates the Holy Spirit to wind and says it comes and goes as it pleases. You don't know where it comes from and you don't know where it's going, but you can see the effect that it's been there. And so Luke uses that same imagery to help us better understand and tie together what the Holy Spirit is doing. And so it comes, no one did anything that day to garner gaining the Holy Spirit. It was just at that moment and at that time, God gave it. And we get the answer why in the second part. Because in God's sovereignty in Jerusalem at that time, there were people represented from every known nation in the known world. It was not a mistake on God's part that they didn't get the Holy Spirit the week before. He wasn't waiting to build some sense of anticipation. He was waiting until in his sovereignty, Every nation in the known world was in Jerusalem so that when he gave the gift of the Holy Spirit and people were able to speak in tongues, they were immediately able, as Luke records, he said this, they hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And so when God gives the Holy Spirit and they get the gift to speak in tongues, God has sovereignly arranged for the entire known world to be there so that in an instant they could begin to hear and have a chance to respond by God's grace to the gospel of the good news of Jesus Christ. And so none of this was by accident. None of this was a mistake. It was all sovereignly planned by God from eternity past. And so I want to go to two places in the Old Testament that I think will better help us understand exactly what's going on in Acts chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles open, uh, you can flip to Ezekiel. If you don't have a Bible there are some on the pew pew rack in front of you, or the words will be on the screen. As you're flipping to Ezekiel chapter 36, we give you just a brief background on the life of Ezekiel. Ezekiel was a prophet called by God while the nation of Israel was in exile from Jerusalem, the land that God had given uh, to the Israelites as they came out of Egypt. And so It was their place of being. It was where they had built their cities. It's where they had built the temple. It's where geographically the very presence of God resided. And so they have been cast out. They have been exiled because what we know to be true of Israel is they were largely unbelievers with hard hearts who didn't really truly love God. And so they lived under the old covenant. And so part of the punishment. Of them not upholding their end of the covenant agreement with God was that they were exiled out of the city of Jerusalem. And so Ezekiel writes and prophesies during this time. And one of the things that Ezekiel prophesies is that the nation of Israel will regain the land of Israel. They'll be able to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild it. And that is the near fulfillment of what we're going to read today. That's what happened in the life of Ezekiel and the nation of Israel. But there was a far fulfillment that would come. Or we could say even that this was a picture and the fulfillment is what we get in Acts 2. So let's read Ezekiel 36, verses 22 through 27. And then let's look at how this mirrors and lines up with Acts 2. So Ezekiel writing while the nation is in exile says this. God speaking through Ezekiel says, Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes." I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. And I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean. And from all your uncleannesses, you'll be clean. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. And so Ezekiel prophesies this. And it does happen in a very real sense for the nation of Israel. You can go read Ezra. You can go read Nehemiah. You can go read others who recount what happens in the life of Israel post-exile. They are allowed to return. They are allowed to return to Jerusalem and rebuild the wall and reinstitute the temple and all the old covenant sacrifices that went with it. And that was so the prophecy for the nation of Israel didn't fail. But there was another prophecy that even Ezekiel wasn't aware of in what he's writing there that's going to be fulfilled through the life and death and resurrection of Christ and the giving of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, which ushers us in to the new covenant, which makes us incurable God lovers. And so when we read Ezekiel, we see that even then, even though Ezekiel was unaware, living this side of the cross, we can see that giving the gift of tongues to reach the nations was never a mistake on God's part because Ezekiel says, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land and I will sprinkle water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses. And from all your idols, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. And so, when we read in Acts 2 that the Holy Spirit is given, and we're aware of what's going on in Ezekiel 36, we see a fuller, more complete picture of God's sovereignty that his plan was always to go out into the nations and gather in for himself a true people who would love him and obey him because their hearts have been changed by grace through faith and that they would be able to walk in his statutes and in his rules and obey them. And we know that to be the law of Christ, namely that we would love God and we would love others. And then we get the most full picture of the fulfillment of Ezekiel's prophecy in Revelation chapter 7. So if you've still got your Bibles open, flip over Revelation chapter 7. John on the island of Patmos in exile is writing of the visions he's seeing of heaven. And this is where all of history is headed. This is where all of history is moving is to this scene. And this helps us better understand that the land that Ezekiel wrote about was the physical land that the Israelites would maintain and reclaim. But the land that we are headed to is the new heavens and the new earth that are to come. And this is the picture we get of all the nations gathering in that new land. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. And so Ezekiel prophesies that. The nation of Israel will be gathered in from the nations. And then in Acts 2, we get a picture that it's actually the church, the new covenant church, that it's true lovers and believers and worshipers of God that are being gathered from all nations because the Holy Spirit gives the disciples the ability to communicate clearly in other known languages. And then at the end of time, we see all of the nations of the earth represented around the throne of Christ, pouring out their praise to the one who gave his life to save them and allow them to love and worship God. And so the pouring out of the Holy Spirit and the gift of tongues was meant to move history forward towards its culmination where everyone is around the throne praising and worshiping God. And if you notice, if you go back to Acts 2, and you notice what they do when they receive the Holy Spirit and the ability to speak in tongues, this is what Luke says they do in Acts 2. He says, and we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. They didn't hold a Bible study. They didn't get together to make sure that it was what they thought it was. Immediately, the Holy Spirit began to prompt them to share the good news of Jesus Christ with other people that they could now clearly communicate with. And I would submit that the most underused area of the Holy Spirit in our lives as believers is in the area of evangelism. We think the Holy Spirit is for a lot of other things. But very rarely do we take time to read the scripture and go, actually, the first thing they did when they received the Holy Spirit was they started sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. How come it is for us today the last thing we want to do with our faith is share it, and it was the first thing the disciples did when they received the Holy Spirit? Where has the disconnect happened in the 21st century church to where the last thing we think the Holy Spirit is asking us to do with our life is share The gospel. That's a question we all have to wrestle with because Acts 2 makes it clear that whatever else the Holy Spirit does in our life, he moves us towards being bold and sharing our faith. There's another thing, there's another area of scripture I want to go to so, we better understand exactly what's going on here in Acts 2. So, if you've still got your Bibles open, flip over to Genesis chapter 11. We've covered a few books, we've got about 60 left, and then I'll be done. We're going to get through all of them today. Um, so, just get ready. I'm kidding, we're not. Um, Genesis 11, let, let me set the stage for you before we get into the text today. So, we know Genesis 1 and 2, the world is created, everything's made, Adam and Eve. Everybody knows that part. We know in Genesis 3 there is the fall there's the fall of man into sin and the fracturing of our relationship with God. And so from Genesis 3 on everyone lives under the curse. In Genesis 4 we see murder happen because we're all born with a sin nature. And then we see God in his sovereignty Noah and his family, as God looks out over the earth, he's not surprised, he's not caught off guard, but the evilness of the world has got to such a point that God saves some and then wipes out everyone and everything else through the flood. Somehow we've turned that into a nursery scene. I don't quite understand how that is supposed to be comforting to your child to sleep under the ark. When Anyway, that's another sermon for another time. But God wipes out the world, and essentially, in His sovereignty, planned to start over with just Noah and his family. So when we get to Genesis 11, Noah's off the boat with his sons and daughters-in-law, and then it's up to them to repopulate the earth. Like that, that's all there is. Left. There wasn't somebody who was really good at like rescue floating who made it through the whole flood, and is like there to help repopulate. It's all on their family. And so they start to repopulate the earth. What happens is they all speak the exact same language. And so in Genesis 11, it tells us they're all speaking the same language, and they've all settled in this place called Shinar, or Shiner, if you can't pronounce it like I can. And and so they, they gather in this land, and it's all, it's like the weirdest ongoing family reunion you've ever been a part of. It's like we take Myrtle Beach and Gatlinburg, mix them up with all your family, and then we just throw you out in like Kansas somewhere. Like it's just, an, you, we read it and we go, oh yeah, they're all together. Like that's a weird situation to be in. But what happens is, look, they're still sinners. They're still born with the sin nature. So they start to talk among themselves and they start to reason and go, you know, there's really nothing We can accomplish. We all speak the same language. We all know what the other is thinking. We can. We're going to be awesome. And look, their ambition shows because they don't go, "Hey, maybe we should solve irrigation." They build. They say, "Let's just build a tower to heaven." Like that's a pretty bold thing to do. Like you're just sitting there. You're, hey guys, what are you going to do today? Let's build a tower. How high? Heaven. Well, well, we got to get to work. And so what God in his sovereignty is doing, he looks down and God is not called off guard. He doesn't go, well, dang it. I let them all speak the same language. He knew what he was doing. And so in a sense of irony, it says that God comes down to check out exactly what the people are doing. Not that he couldn't see from heaven and wasn't very aware. And so we pick up this in Genesis 11, 6 through 9. Moses is recording the history of Israel. And he says this, and the Lord said, Behold, they are one people and they have all one language and this is only the beginning of what they will do and nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down there and confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there of the face of all the earth and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. And so they're ready, they're building the tower, and God says, nah, not today, guys. And so he confuses their language, and he disperses them out across the face of the earth. And as he confuses their language and sends them out, what we see is that language creates culture, and cultures create societies, and societies create people groups. And now we live in a world of over 6 billion people with 7,000-plus people groups, because in Genesis 11... God scattered folks and confused their language and sent them to cover the face of the earth. Could God, in his power and sovereignty, though, not have confused language? Like, he's God. He could just be like whack-a-mole, and every time they get the tower up to a certain height, he just whacks it back down to the ground. And he could have frustrated them over and over and over and over again. He didn't have to change language to accomplish his purposes. But we see in Acts 2, the giving of the Holy Spirit gives people the ability now. So Genesis 11, when they're dispersed and language is confused, it is an act of judgment on God's part. In Acts 2, when the disciples get the Holy Spirit and they begin to be able to communicate with others in their own language, it is an act of mercy on God's part to give everyone the opportunity to hear and respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I would submit to you the languages get confused and the cultures abound and the societies form because it will increase the worship and the praise of Jesus who was slain to take away their sin because the only way you take the gospel to other peoples is by the power of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit in you. So I'll admit that Genesis 11 happens so that when Christ comes and when Christ dies and when we receive the Holy Spirit and we begin to take it to the nations, it would increase the worship and the enjoyment of of God in his sovereignty and Jesus in his sacrificial death. And so when we see Genesis 11, we see it as an act of judgment. But Acts 2 is an act of mercy on the part of God that we we would have a chance. How do I know Acts 2 was an act of mercy? Because I speak English in the 21st century, and I can know and hear the gospel proclaimed in my own language, where I can reason with it, I can wrestle with it, and by God's grace I can respond to it. And so the giving of the spirit to the disciples in Acts 2, and for us, when we become believers, you get all the spirit you need to accomplish all that God has for you to do. And I would submit the primary thing that God has for you to do with your life is to live it in such a way that you're constantly sharing the good news of Jesus Christ above anything else. And that God would get the glory as the nations respond in faith to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I want to walk through just a few ways, that I think where we misunderstand or misapply the spirit in our life. And I want to walk us through how we then work to understand the spirit, moving our lives more towards evangelism and less towards constant personal assessment. So giving of the spirit and Acts 2 helps us see and realize that the gospel message once received in our hearts by faith makes us incurable God lovers. And so this life that we're going to talk about over the next few minutes is only possible for those whom God and his sovereignty has saved. This isn't something you can conjure up on your own. It isn't something you can get just by trying to be a more better version of you. This is the act of God through the power of the Holy Spirit in our life, increasing our enjoyment of God, increasing our hatred of sin, and making us more ready to share the gospel. So when we receive the Holy spirit as believers, we are able to read and understand scripture. It is impossible to share the good news of Jesus and God, the father, if you don't know it. And we have everything we need to know him to the point that we can share the faith because the spirit in us allows us to read and understand the scriptures. So when we receive the Spirit, we receive the ability because the same Spirit that inspired the text of the Bible is the same Spirit in us that allows us to read and know and understand, not so that we could impress another believer with our biblical knowledge, but so that we would take the very truths and the heartbeat of God to the nations, to our neighbors, to our co-workers, to our friends, so that they would have a chance to hear and respond to the gospel and be given the Holy Spirit. We are now convicted of our own sin. And as the Spirit works in our heart to convict us of our sin, it works to have the character of Christ formed in us. And the character of Christ is the character of a loving, gracious God who goes to save the lost. And so as the Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin, we confess and we repent of it. But we also allow it to be What lets us sit down and share the gospel with others, and we don't insert ourselves as the hero of the gospel message. We're able to sit and share the gospel, confessing in those moments our need for the Holy Spirit and the gospel just as much as the non believer we're sharing the gospel with. So the Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin. When we get the Holy Spirit through the power of God, it joins us in community. It joins us in the church, the true spiritual Israel of God, and it gives us the ability to be a part of the community that would encourage us to share the gospel. When was the last time that you were in a discipleship meeting or in a small group gathering and you left encouraged to share the gospel? When was the last time you left encouraged not to sin? Look, I'm all for not sinning in a believer's life. I'm all for fighting against sin and loving the fight against sin and wanting to love Christ more than our sin. But we are short-circuiting the gospel if we only ever get together to talk about how bad our sin is and we never challenge each other to say, who that doesn't know Christ is going to get a chance to hear about him this week from you? This is what we're dealing with eternity and time is short, so I want you to feel the weight of how we have the Spirit in us Today, the Holy Spirit being given to us means that we are now bold to proclaim the gospel. Next week, Ben's going to start to unpack Peter's sermon, quite possibly the greatest sermon ever preached. Peter denied Christ. Peter ran with the rest of the disciples when the arrest of Christ happened, and he followed him, and he denies him. But in Acts 3, what you see in the life of Peter is a boldness that can only be explained By the Holy Spirit being in his life, where he no longer retreats, he no longer goes for the easy way out, but he boldly stands and proclaims the goodness and the glory and the majesty of Jesus Christ. That's what the Holy Spirit does in our life today. And when we receive the Holy Spirit, we are sealed for eternity. Paul writes in Ephesians that the Holy Spirit is our seal, ensuring that we will obtain our inheritance in Christ in the age to come. But primarily that means that right now we can risk everything in this life for the sake of the gospel because we can't lose the life that is to come. And so we go knowing that whatever happens to us, whatever We endure persecution and the loss of life and the loss of friends. If we are bold and faithful in proclaiming the gospel in truth and love, we know that we cannot be disowned by God. So it empowers us to go share. And so when we think about Acts 2, it would be fun if we talked about everything else that goes on in Acts 2. But I also meant that the primary thing that happens is that the Holy Spirit is given so that the church would take the message to the world. And that you would take the message to your neighbors and that you would take the message to your parents and that you would take the message to your coworkers to think less of the Holy spirit than that is to misunderstand how the Holy spirit works in our life. The Holy spirit is given so that we would be bold in our proclamation. So as we read acts two, we are grateful because it means that we dead in our sins and unable to please God in any way are given grace through faith by the Holy spirit to know and love Christ and share his message. Let that be cause for our hearts to sing with praise to Jesus, our King. So as the band gets ready to come and lead us, if you're not a believer, I pray that you would wrestle with what it would look like to give, your life to give your life to Christ, that you would cry out to the Spirit to save you. But primarily, if you are a believer in this room today, I don't want you to be quick to stand and sing, but I want you to work through in your heart what it looks like to be about what the disciples were about in the first century, which was primarily sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, that you would confess and repent and you would come take communion, knowing that Christ loved you even in your sinfulness and he died for you, but he didn't die for you primarily so that you would be more awesome or that you would end up in heaven. Those are all excellent benefits of loving and following Christ. But one of the primary reasons he lived and died for you is because he wants to use you in his sovereign plan to save others. Would that be what we labor towards as a church? Would that be where we see the Holy Spirit moving us as a church? Is to be people who are deeply committed to sharing the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, you give us your spirit not so that we would withdraw in fear or timidity, but so that we would be bold in our proclamation of the gospel. When we see the disciples in Acts 2, their first move after receiving the Holy Spirit is not retreat, but it's advance in love and in truth to share the gospel with the nations. So Father, we may not be be going to the nations with our life, but we have a world around us that we can influence in our family and our friends and our neighbors. And so for all the things that the Holy Spirit does in our life, would you draw out in us a spirit of evangelism that we would begin to be people who care deeply that our friends and neighbors and the world hears about the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's nothing we can do. We can't sing enough songs. We can't read enough scripture. That's a work that you do by the power of your spirit in us. And so we'd be willing, able, and ready by the power of your spirit to respond to the spirit and taking the gospel to the nations. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.